the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to Vatican Insider on this Christmas season weekend. I have lots of news highlights today, and then, as a special gift to you, I will read Pope John Paul's wonderful 1994 Christmas letter to children. It is still a gift for the young and the young at heart, these many years later. But now, the news highlights. Sunday, December 24th, the Vigil of Christmas. At the Angelus Sunday, Pope Francis expressed his closeness to victims of war, and he urged the faithful to avoid consumerism at Christmas and to celebrate the birth of Jesus without waste by sharing what we have with those in need. We are close to our brothers and sisters who are suffering from war. We are thinking of Palestine, Israel, Ukraine. We are thinking, too, of all those who suffer from misery, from hunger, from slavery. Francis invited Christians to spend the day in prayer in the warmth of affection and with sobriety. Let us not confuse celebration with consumerism, he pleaded. He urged the faithful to celebrate Christmas with simplicity, without waste, and by sharing with those who lack necessities or companionship. At 7.30 Sunday evening, Christmas Eve, Pope Francis presided at the Christmas Mass in St. Peter's Basilica, saying that the wonder of Christmas is that an infinite God becomes finite, for our sake. He began his homily for Christmas Mass during the night, quoting directly from the Gospel according to St. Luke. The evangelist, he noted, makes a point of emphasizing the census, which he could have just mentioned in passing. A stark contrast thus emerges. While the emperor numbers the world's inhabitants, God enters it almost surreptitiously. While those who exercise power seek to take their place with the great ones of history, the king of history chooses the way of littleness. None of the powerful take notice of him, the Pope stressed. Only a few shepherds, relegated to the margins of social life. The emperor's census of the whole earth, the Pope said, thus manifests the all-too-human thread that runs through history, the quest for worldly power and might fame and glory, which measures everything in terms of success, results, numbers and figures, a world obsessed with achievement. And yet, said Francis, we look to the baby Jesus, who in his greatness became small. Let us then keep our eyes fixed on this living and true God. Monday, December 25th. Greeting the crowds gathered in St. Peter's Square from the central loggia of St. Peter's Basilica, Pope Francis offered his traditional good wishes on this Christmas Day with a message followed by his solemn Urbi and Orbi blessing to the city and the world. In his message, Pope Francis spoke of how the child Jesus reveals God's tender love for each one of us, which brings about the joy that consoles hearts, renews hope, and bestows peace. Introducing his message, the Pope said the good news of great joy that we celebrate is the sure promise of an unprecedented gift, the hope of being born for heaven, as the Lord's birth reveals God's tender love, and that Jesus gives us power to become children of God. 
This is the joy that consoles hearts, renews hope, and bestows peace. It is the joy of the Holy Spirit, the joy born of being God's beloved sons and daughters. Let us exult in this gift of grace. Rejoice, you who have abandoned all hope, for God offers you his outstretched hand. He does not point a finger at you, but offers you his little baby hand in order to set you free from your fears, to relieve you of your burdens, and to show you that in his eyes you are more valuable than anything else. Following the birth of the Savior came the slaughter of the innocents, the Pope recalled, and he remembered the innocents, the little Jesuses of today, who are victims in their mother's wombs, in odysseys undertaken in desperation and in search of hope in the lives of all those little ones whose childhood has been devastated by war. We must say yes to peace and no to war, as every war marks a defeat without victors, an inexcusable folly. He also called for a no to weapons, given that with human weakness we can often end up using them for war sooner or later. Peace is even more difficult, he observed, when arms, production, sales, and trade are on the rise, and when public funds spent on arms can come at the expense of bread for the hungry. He decried the interest and the profits that move the puppet strings of war, and these must be brought to light, talked about and written about, he emphasized, since many have no idea how much of their public funds are being spent on weapons, whereas they should be informed. He prayed that with God's help we may make every effort for the day when nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Tuesday, December 26th, a holiday in Italy in the Vatican. Pope Francis led the Midday Angelus Prayer on the Feast of St. Stephen, first martyr, the day after Christmas, recalling his heroic witness to Jesus that planted the seed of faith in others, transforming hearts and working miracles of faith. Francis highlighted the heroic witness of St. Stephen, whom he recalled for his integrity, his dedicated service to the poor, and his great courage in bearing witness to Jesus, even as he was mercilessly stoned to death by his persecutors, led by Saul. After reciting the Angelus, Francis said he was close to the Christian communities that suffered discrimination, and he also was praying for peace in Syria, Gaza, and Ukraine. Wednesday, December 27th, beginning a new series of catecheses on the virtues and the vices opposed to them, Pope Francis at his last weekly general audience of 2023 explained how the scriptures and the masters of the spiritual life urge us to reject evil at its roots, and he highlighted the importance of safeguarding the heart. The Holy Father said, the very first pages of the Bible present us with the drama of original goodness, temptation, and sin. The tempter, in the form of a serpent, is subtle, instilling doubt about God's wisdom and intentions, and playing on our ambition and pride. We truly appreciate the wrong we have done. The scriptures and the masters of the spiritual life urge us to recognize and reject evil at its root, to be alert to the wiles of the devil, and above all, to keep watch over our hearts, lest the first stirrings of sin threaten our closeness to the Lord and our obedience to his loving plan for our lives. At the end of the general audience, Pope Francis renewed once again his appeal for peace in the Holy Land and Ukraine. Please 
Do not forget to pray for those suffering the terrible consequences of violence and war. Thursday, December 28th. In greetings to the 46th European Meeting of Taizé, Pope Francis encouraged young people to embrace listening to and welcoming those on the margins of society. In the message conveyed by Cardinal Secretary of State Pietro Parolin, the Holy Father highlighted the opportunity for participants to live the beautiful experience of friendship with God and with others as a church and a community. As the body of the risen Lord present in the world, young people are invited to rediscover the art of listening, an act of love that lies at the heart of trust. In a world where conflicts and wars continually arise due to lack of listening, the Pope urged the youth to dare to build a different world, a world of listening, dialogue, and openness. Friday, December 29th. Vatican News revealed that Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky recently expressed his gratitude to Pope Francis for his Christmas greetings to Ukraine and for supporting the peace formula. This appreciation was conveyed during their latest phone conversation, details of which President Zelensky posted Thursday on the official presidential website and on his ex-account. I have just spoken with His Holiness Pope Francis to express gratitude for his Christmas greetings to Ukraine and Ukrainians, for his wishes of peace, a just peace for all of us. We discussed our joint work on the peace formula. More than 80 states are already involved at the level of their representatives. There will be more. I am grateful to the Vatican for supporting our work. Pope Francis received the Ukrainian president in the Vatican on May 13th for their second in-person meeting. The first was in 2020, before Russia's all-out invasion of its neighbor on February 24, 2022. Since then, the two men have spoken several times by phone. Well, lots of news highlights this week, as you just heard. Now, stay tuned for the Q&A and then my special reading of Pope John Paul's beautiful and compelling 1994 Christmas Letter to Children. Before I close, however, I want to thank all of you. I want to thank my blog readers, my radio listeners, for making 2023 so special for me by staying in touch with letters, Facebook comments, etc. Your sentiments and your friendship through the media mean so very much to me. May I wish you all a splendid New Year, and may 2024 be the best year ever, and especially for those suffering violence and war, may we finally, finally have peace. Welcome to this week's Q&A. The question is, what are ex-votos, or votive offerings? Our Sunday Visitor's Catholic Encyclopedia says, quote, Votive offerings, from the Latin votum, means a wish or a vow, and these are free will offerings of money or goods, presented as an expression of piety and devotion in light of a particular request or need. On occasion, in building or renovating a church, ex-votos were major artworks, artifacts, or sacred vessels given to signify the need of the donor. Votive offerings are also the payments we make when we light a candle in a church to express a prayer intention. You've probably seen many ex-votos without knowing what they were. 
You'll find them more often in a shrine, but there may be some in your home parish. Usually made in silver, they come in a wide variety of shapes, most frequently a heart with a flame, and three letters, PGR, per grazie ricevute, for favors received. These votive offerings frequently have something to do with what is considered to be a healing or a cure, a crutch, a piece of clothing from the person, baby clothes are numerous, a medical instrument, etc. Often the shape refers to a part of the body that the faithful consider to have had a miraculous cure, a silver ex voto in the shape, for example, of a leg, an arm, a head. An ex voto can also be a letter or some other form of missive. You can even see on occasion sports uniforms, parts of bikes or cars, tennis rackets, deflated soccer balls, some object associated with the patient's personal life. There is no end to the imagination when it comes to votive offerings. And if you're ever in Italy, go to the shrine of Our Lady of the Rosary of Pompeii and you will see ex votos like no others in size, shape, and quantity. EWTN has its own official YouTube channel with tens of thousands of videos covering just about every conceivable topic of interest to Catholics. And best of all, it's free. Every day, EWTN adds new TV shows, live events, devotionals, homilies, and specials to its YouTube channel. Visit the EWTN YouTube channel today. EWTN is the global Catholic network. Psalm 1, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scorners. What does that mean? Don't hang around with bad people? No. According to G.K. Chesterton, it means something much better than that. He says that there are certain people who, because they are really pure, create a good atmosphere around themselves. They are truly children of light, and that light shines on everything they touch. So it's not that hanging around bad people makes us bad, it's that being righteous can help make the people around us righteous too. Spend more time with the Apostle of Common Sense. Visit Chesterton.org for more information, and go to EWTNRC.com to discover more books and programs written and inspired by G.K. Chesterton. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. In place of an interview today, I have a very special treat. I'm going to read Pope St. John Paul's 1994 Christmas message to children. If you are a child or a parent, grandparent, aunt or uncle, and have small children near you, this is for you. I knew this wonderful Pope when I worked at the Vatican for many years, and his love for families, for little children, and for youth was powerful and beautiful, just like this letter. Merry Christmas to one and all. Jesus is born, starts the Holy Father. In a few days we will celebrate Christmas, the holy day that is so full of meaning for all children in every family. This year it will be even more so because 1994 is the year of the family. 
Before the year of the family ends, I want to write to you, the children of the whole world, and to share with you in the joy of this happy time of year. Christmas is the feast day of a child, of a newborn baby, so this is your feast day too. You wait patiently for it and get ready for it with joy, counting the days and even the hours to the holy night of Bethlehem. I can almost see you. You are setting up the crib at home, in the parish, in every corner of the world, recreating the surroundings and the atmosphere in which the Savior was born. Yes, it is true. At Christmas time, the stable and the manger take center place in the church, and everyone hurries to go there to make a spiritual pilgrimage, like the shepherds on the night of Jesus's birth. Later, it will be the magi arriving from the distant east, following the star to the place where the Redeemer of the universe lay. You too, during the days of Christmas, visit the cribs, stopping to look at the child lying in the hay. You look at his mother, and you look at Saint Joseph, the Redeemer's guardian. As you look at the Holy Family, you think of your own family, the family in which you came into the world. You think of your mother who gave you birth, and of your father. Both of them provide for the family and for your upbringing. For it is the parents' duty not only to have children, but also to bring them up from the moment of their birth. Dear children, as I write to you, I am thinking of when many years ago I was a child like you. I too used to experience the peaceful feelings of Christmas, and when the star of Bethlehem shone, I would hurry to the crib together with the other boys and girls to relive what happened two thousand years ago in Palestine. We children expressed our joy mostly in song. How beautiful and moving are the Christmas carols that, in the tradition of every people, are sung around the crib! What deep thoughts they contain, and above all, what joy and tenderness they express about the divine Child who came into the world that holy night! The days that follow the birth of Jesus are also feast days. So, eight days afterward, according to the Old Testament tradition, the Child was given a name. He was called Jesus. Then, after forty days, we commemorate his presentation in the temple, like every other firstborn son of Israel. On that occasion, an extraordinary meeting took place. Mary, when she arrived in the temple with the child, was met by the old man Simeon, who took the baby Jesus in his arms and spoke these prophetic words: "Lord, now let your servant depart in peace." According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for the glory to your people Israel. Then, speaking to his mother Mary, Simeon added, "Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is spoken against, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that thoughts out of many hearts may be revealed." So already in the first days of Jesus's life, we heard the foretelling of the Passion that will one day include his mother Mary too. On Good Friday, she will stand silently by the cross of her son. Also, not much time will pass after his birth before the baby Jesus finds himself facing a grave danger. The cruel King Herod will order all the children under the age of two years to be killed, and for this reason, Jesus will be forced to flee with his parents into Egypt. You certainly know all these events connected with the birth of Jesus. They are told to you by your parents and by priests, teachers, and catechists, 
and each year you relive them spiritually at Christmas time together with the whole church, so you know about these dramatic aspects of Jesus' infancy. Dear friends, in what happened to the child of Bethlehem, you can recognize what happens to children throughout the world. It is true that a child represents the joy not only of its parents, but also the joy of the church and the whole of society. But it's also true that in our days, unfortunately, many children in different parts of the world are suffering and being threatened. They are hungry and poor. They are dying from diseases and malnutrition. They are the victims of war. They are abandoned by their parents and condemned to remain without a home. Without the warmth of a family of their own, they suffer many forms of violence and arrogance from grown-ups. How can we not care when we see the suffering of so many children, especially when the suffering is in some way caused by grown-ups? The child whom we see in the manger at Christmas grew up as the years passed. When he was twelve years old, as you know, he went for the first time with Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Passover. There, in the crowd of pilgrims, he was separated from his parents, and with other boys and girls of his own age, he stopped to listen to the teachers in the temple for a sort of catechism lesson. The holidays were good opportunities for handing on the faith to children who were about the same age as Jesus. But on this occasion, it happened that this extraordinary boy who had come from Nazareth not only asked very intelligent questions, but also started to give profound answers to those who were teaching him. The questions, and even more the answers, astonished the temple teachers. It was the same amazement that later on would mark Jesus' public preaching. The episode in the Temple of Jerusalem was simply the beginning, and a kind of foreshadowing of what would come later years. Dear boys and girls who are the same age as 12-year-old Jesus, are you not reminded now of the religion lessons in the parish and at school, lessons that you are invited to take part in? So I'd like to ask you some questions. What do you think of your religion classes? Do you become involved like the 12-year-old Jesus in the temple? Do you regularly go to these lessons at school and in the parish? Do your parents help you to do so? The 12-year-old Jesus became so interested in the religion lesson in the Temple of Jerusalem that, in a sense, he even forgot about his own parents, Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph, having started off on a journey back to Nazareth with other pilgrims, soon realized Jesus was not with them. They searched hard for him. They went back, and only on the third day did they find him in Jerusalem in the temple. Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been looking for you anxiously. How strange is Jesus' answer, and how it makes us stop and think. How is it that you sought me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? This was a difficult answer to accept. The evangelist Luke simply adds that Mary, quote, kept all these things in her heart. In fact, it was an answer that would be understood only later when Jesus, as a grown-up, began to preach and say for his heavenly Father he was ready to face any sufferings and even death on the cross. From Jerusalem, Jesus went back with Mary and Joseph to Nazareth, where he was obedient to them. Regarding this period before his public preaching began, the Gospel notes only that, quote, he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Dear children, 
In the child whom you look at in the crib, you must try to also see the twelve-year-old boy in the temple in Jerusalem, talking with the teachers. He's the same grown man who later, at thirty years old, will begin to preach the word of God, will choose the twelve apostles, will be followed by crowds thirsting for the truth. At every step, he will confirm his extraordinary teaching with signs of divine power. He will give sight to the blind, heal the sick, even raise the dead. And among the dead whom he will bring back to life, there will be the twelve-year-old daughter of Jairus and the son of the widow of Naim, given back alive to his weeping mother. It is really true. This child, now just born, once he is grown up as teacher of divine truth, will show an extraordinary love for children. He will say to the apostles. Let the children come to me; do not hinder them. And he will add, "For to such belongs the kingdom of God." Another time, as the apostles are arguing about who is the greatest, he will put a child in front of them and say, "Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven." On the occasion, he also spoke harsh words of warning: "Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin." It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck, and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. How important children are in the eyes of Jesus! We could even say that the gospel is full of the truth about children. The whole of the gospel could actually be read as quote the gospel of children. So, what does it mean that unless you turn and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven? Is not Jesus pointing to children as models, even for grown-ups? In children, there is something that must never be missing in people who want to enter the kingdom of heaven. People who are destined to go to heaven are simple, like children, and like children are full of trust, rich in goodness, and pure. Only people of this sort can find in God a father, and thanks to Jesus, can become in their own turn children of God. Is not this the main message of Christmas? We read in Saint John, quote, "And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us." And again, quote, "To all who received Him, who believed in His name, He gave power to become children of God." Children of God, yes, dear children, you are sons and daughters of your parents. God wants us all to become His adopted children by grace. And here we have the real reason for Christmas joy—the joy I am writing to you about at the end of this year of the family. Be happy in this gospel of divine sonship, in this joy. I hope that the coming Christmas holidays will bear abundant fruit in this year of the family. Again, this was first written and heard in December 1994, the year the Pope called the year of the family. For more information on these stories, or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to ewtn.com. That's ewtn.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.